Uh, you can follow along in the sermon. You can uh, open the worship folder. There's notes in there for fill-ins. Grab that nice orange Holy Word pen and follow along that way. And we'll have uh, we'll project on the screen as well for the fill-in notes. And let's dive into First Peter chapter three here. On April 11th in 1970, the command module Odyssey splashed into the South Pacific Ocean as the dramatic ending of the aborted Apollo 13 mission. The Apollo 13 mission went really bad when an oxygen tank exploded. And from that point on, the whole mission, ground control, and the crew in, in the Apollo 13 mission, had to, their primary goal was no longer landing on the moon. It was how do we get the, this crew back to Earth safely. And they had a lot of deadly dangers working against them. They, uh, they couldn't control the carbon dioxide. They had loss of potential loss of uh, total power, but they did lose some power. Loss of heat, loss of water. They didn't have fresh water to cool themselves as a crew, crew or, or the command module needed water to, to cool it down. And so they were working against all these things and then had to come up with a plan in the meantime to get the command module back to Earth. After going through a couple different scenarios, they finally decided to use the far side of the moon and use the moon's gravitational force to slingshot the command module back to Earth, which they did, and it landed safely in the South Pacific. Uh, what a comeback story! Maybe you've seen the movie, too. It's a very dramatic movie and, and uh, neat to watch. It's a comeback story. We love comeback stories. We love the story of David and Goliath. Right, the little guy defeating the big guy. We love it when an underdog wins the national championship. Some of the favorite movies of all time are Cinderella and Pinocchio. Right, and even the greatest contemporary movies or TV shows. Just look at this. Most of the most popular ones all are a comeback story of some kind. Someone overcoming adversity that just makes for a great drama that people connect to. So we love those comeback stories. Joe Montana, the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, former quarterback, had 31 fourth quarter comebacks in his career. Uh, we love Joe Montana, even if you're not 49ers fans. So comeback stories are a big deal. Maybe you have your own comeback story. Maybe you have uh, recovered from uh, knee surgery and you're an athlete and you're back at it. Maybe you, uh, you didn't graduate from high school or college and as an adult you went back to school and you got a degree. It's a great comeback story. Maybe you, maybe you had a life as a child that wasn't the best life and now you're giving a great life to your own children. There's all kinds of comeback stories in our lives. But none of those is your greatest comeback story. I just told you about your personal greatest comeback story when I read from 1 Peter chapter 3. Your greatest comeback story is the greatest comeback story in the history of the world. And there will never be anyone any greater than this. And that's what I read in 1 Peter chapter 3. Your greatest comeback story is Jesus' greatest comeback story. And we're going to dive into that here in 1 Peter chapter 3. When he descended into hell. Very similar to the Apollo 13 mission. Because something went terribly wrong with Jesus' own life and his ministry when he was arrested 
bound, beaten, put on trial, and crucified. He lost his power, though he did it willingly, but he lost his power as, as God when he was humiliated like that and crucified. He was dealing with some deadly dangers. He used the gravity force of hell to slingshot himself back to earth. And it ended up becoming the greatest comeback story of all time. That means evil is defeated and you are not. That's what that means. So, defeat simply is not a word in the vocabulary of anyone who believes in Jesus and follows Jesus. It's just not a part of who we are. For Bible-believing people, we, don't, we should not know what defeat is. The Bible promises that when you believe in God, that there is no harm in your life. And so, for God-believers, it's not win or lose, it's win or learn. Because there are things that happen to us that we, <laughs> that we consider harmful. It feels like that, it looks like that from our perspective. And God from heaven is looking down saying, no, that wasn't harmful for you. So we know that God uses those troubles in our lives for our own good. The Bible promises only good for people who believe in Jesus. That even all our bad things, God will turn out for our good. You see that? So there's no defeat. Even death for believers is not the end, but the beginning. There is no defeat in your life. None. I promise you that because the Bible promises you that. But here's what happens. Even as Christians, even good Christians, church-going Christians like all of you are, we experience way too much defeat in our lives. Defeat bullies us. Defeat beats us. Because we allow it to. You have a new health and fitness plan, you go to the gym, and it works great for seven days, or three weeks, or four months, and finally that just kind of, you end up quitting. It's just, you're too busy and it's too much work. Defeat. You're in this marriage relationship, and you find out that the person that you're married to isn't the person that you were dating before you got married. What is going on? And marriage becomes work and hard and a struggle and sometimes not a lot of fun. And you're just ready to walk away. You have an attitude like, I'm just going to be done with this. That's defeat. You have a disability. Maybe it's a physical disability. Maybe it's a mental disability. And you use that as an excuse to not perform in the callings that God has given you that he wants you to perform in. That's defeat. You have a bad habit, a sinful habit, and you know it and it's your weakness. And you just live with it because that's just the way I am. Jesus has better plans for you than that. That's defeat. So how can it be, answer this, how can it be that Jesus defeated all of our spiritual enemies, he died for our sins, he descended into hell, defeated the devil, he rose from the dead, 
None of them can control us, and yet we, and yet they, they, uh, they control us in our lives. How can it be that evil is defeated, and yet we are still defeated in our everyday life? Did Jesus goof up? Is the Bible and God's Word in the Bible mistaken? No and no. It's simply this. All of these truths and promises of God are good as gold. But when we don't believe them and put them into practice, then they're like God saying, I put a million dollars in the bank for you. And we say, well, I doubt that. Or we get too busy and we forget about it. A million dollars is still there, but we're just not making use of it. So, what's important is that we recenter ourselves constantly on the Word of God like we're doing this morning. Because we need, as, even as believers and followers, we need to do a better job of our believing. And when you want to believe in something better or more, what you don't do is focus on your own believing. What you do is focus on the object of your believing. Let me give you an example. You have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and you want your two-and-a-half-year-old to jump into the pool. And so you're on the pool deck, relaxing with your friends and family, and they're there, and you, and you say to your two-and-a-half-year-old, hey, go jump in the pool. Like, you, you know, put your floaties on, you're, but, you know, first time ever. Just go, go jump in, you can do it. And oh, they're scared and they're crying and they don't want to go. And you, you, you push. You, get, get up there, come on. You, you're, you can do it, you'll be fine. Everything will be okay, you'll be fine, you can do it. And they're, they're crying, they don't want to do it. And you're just harassing the poor kid while you're sitting in your chair comfortably enjoying the afternoon sun and a nice tea. Well, you, you don't do it that way. My, my dad didn't do it that way. For me, well, maybe it started that way, but as soon as I started resisting, see, he, did, he didn't harass me to just believe more. That wasn't going to do any good because there's, you know, there's monsters in the water and it's scary, and I, right? It's all, I don't want to jump in there. So, right, parents, instead of just harassing kids, just believe. You help them focus on the object of what they should believe in. And then my dad made that object my dad. He gets in the water, stands in the water. I can see it's not 100 feet deep with whales and sharks in it. And he's standing there and he puts his arms out and he says, jump. And I jump. See, Jesus, by dying and descending into hell and becoming alive and rising, is saying to you, jump. I'm here. Uh, I am the one who did it all for you, and I, I want you to believe in me. Jump. So, let's do this. Let's look at what he did. Let's look at Jesus descending into hell. And so this is, this, this is the thing that happened between his dying and his rising. All right? So most people are familiar with the Bible, know that Jesus died, 
and know that he rose from the dead. He appeared to people three days later. But between those two things, something happened. Now the obvious thing that happened that we usually skip over but we need to mention is he became alive. Right? He wasn't a zombie when he appeared to the people after the resurrection when he left the tomb. He, he, was, he was alive. So somewhere in there, he became alive. Between dying and we use the word rising or he rose from the dead that typically means he appeared to people and proved that he was alive. So between the point of dying and being buried and appearing to people, somewhere in here, he became alive. And then between becoming alive and appearing to people, between that time, we say it in our creed, he descended into hell. So we're going to unpack that this morning, see what that's all about, see how that's Jesus defeating evil for you so that evil doesn't rule your life. Evil is defeated in your life too. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Christ also suffered. That means that someone else suffered. 1 Peter chapter 3, this letter that Peter writes, he writes it to suffering Christians. They were being tortured and persecuted for their faith. So, do you, you probably aren't tortured for your faith, but you are persecuted, and maybe not in... In, in torturous kind of ways, but we do experience inconvenience for believing in Jesus. You could be golfing right now, and you're here. You've decided to prioritize your faith for this morning. So there's a lot of things that we suffer inconveniences about. So this even applies to us, um, and certainly in our inner spiritual life as we seek to put away sin and live for Jesus, that involves suffering. So it says, Jesus also suffered, just like us. He says, he's, Jesus isn't any different than you are. He went through suffering as well. However, Jesus' suffering is a lot different than my suffering. Jesus' suffering is unique, and there's six Different ways Jesus' suffering is unique, right in this one verse alone. And it's going to tell the whole story of Jesus descending into hell and why. So let's track along with this. Right, here we go. I'm going to begin with number one. Jesus suffered once. For Jesus, suffering was one and done. We call that his humiliation. When Jesus left the glory of heaven and decided to follow his Father's will and come to earth and make this mission trip to earth. The very moment he left his position and authority, his power in heaven to do that, as a matter of fact, the very second that he was conceived, the Bible, the Bible says, conceived in Mary's tummy, was the beginning of his humiliation. And then he continued. He, con he was conceived, he was born, he lived, he suffered, he died. Right? All of that... It could be, could be in the realm of Jesus' suffering, beginning with his conception. Obviously, to the point of uh, Holy Week, where we see him being tortured and, and beaten and crucified. But he did it once, and it's done. There is no more suffering like that for Jesus. His humiliation is over. Secondly, for sins. Why did Jesus suffer? For sins. Sin is paid for once and for all people. There's only one moment when God deals his anger out 
to sin. And that's when Jesus died on the cross. God does not deal his anger out to you for your sins because he already did that when Jesus died, when he was crucified. There's two good passages here. If you have your Bible, your Bible app, you can look at one of these. Uh, Romans 4, verse 25, or Galatians 1, verse 4. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins. That's why he died, to take care of this sin mess that we've made. Galatians 1 verse 4, He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Rescued from evil. Evil is defeated. And it's defeated in your life too. You're not defeated. Next phrase, the righteous for the unrighteous. Listen to this Bible verse. This is Jesus speaking in Mark 2.17. It's going to be projected too. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. This is Jesus talking. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus didn't come for good people. Jesus didn't come for holy people. He says right here, I didn't, I didn't come for righteous people. It's not, the, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, it's the sick. Jesus said, I came for people who've messed up their lives. I've come for people who feel too defeated when they shouldn't. I've come for people who have addictions and who have sinful habits. I've come for people who've walked away from me. I've come for sinners. Jesus is not waiting for you to get your act together before he loves you and, and forgives you and saves you. He came for us just the way we, that we are. The righteous for the unrighteous. So Jesus is the righteous ones, we're the unrighteous ones. And then he brings us to God. Jesus brings you to God. It's like an inside connection you have. You're, uh, you're jobless. You're, you're looking for employment. You have a friend who knows a friend. And he connects the two of you. And... Lo and behold, you find a job because your friend connected you with someone. That's Jesus. Jesus is our connection to God. He brings us to God. Next one, put to death in the body. So Jesus was put to... This, Jesus' death was a real death. He was put to death in the body. There's a real body there, Jesus' body. He's a real human being, and so it's saying that God died. A real death with real blood as a real payment for real sin. That means quit faking it. Quit pretending that you don't need Jesus as much as you really do. And don't be afraid to be real about your junk. Don't be afraid to own your fears and your sinful stuff, they're real. Let it out. Be real about it, as real as God was about you dying on the cross, and your forgiveness is as real as being real about your sinfulness and your weakness. So don't be afraid. You can be real. Jesus was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. So, Jesus was put to death in the body. And so, at the moment of Jesus' death, a real person, a real human being, and God at the same time, at the moment he was put to death, his body died, 
He stopped breathing, his heart stopped, his brain stopped, he's pronounced dead, but his spirit didn't die, his soul. What did Jesus say at the end, just before he died? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, right? His spirit or his soul did not stop, just like yours and mine will not stop when we die. Your, your spirit, your soul, leaving your body, that's really the ultimate definition of death, when your spirit or soul leaves your body and your body is just a shell, it's just a, it's a corpse. So that's what happened to Jesus. He was put to death in the body. His body died. His spirit did not. His spirit went to his Father in heaven. And then made alive in the spirit means his spirit returned to his body and made his body alive so that he was then, once again, body and spirit together. Just like will happen to us on resurrection day, on the last day when Jesus returns, and our spirit, which will be in heaven because we're believers, will return to our body wherever it is, cremated, buried, eaten by sharks, wherever our body is, decomposed, it'll, it'll return, it'll be reunited, our soul, and our, our, our soul and our body. So, when Jesus' spirit returned to his body, he was lying in the tomb... When his spirit returned, he became alive. We call that his... I was going to say this and I stumbled. Vivification. Say that. Vivification. Yeah, not bad. That's, That's the official word of this doctrine, of this Bible teaching that says Jesus became alive. And we kind of just assume that when we say the creed, but that's a, that's a key piece. Jesus became alive. You see that word lives in there, vivit, or that Latin word, right? Vivification. So he became alive, key point. And then right after he became alive, that, that's, that's the beginning of his, what we call his exaltation. So the phase of his suffering, his humiliation, ended when he was buried and he was lying dead. Then we say it's his exaltation when when he starts to use his divine power again and he rallies, he comes back. A greatest comeback in the history of the world is he became alive and right after he became alive, I don't know the exact seconds or minutes or hours, but before he appeared to people, and after he became alive, he descended into hell. Body and spirit together. The Jesus who was walking and teaching his disciples, the Jesus you saw in this video, that Jesus went to hell. Mm-hmm. What happened there? So this is a part of his exaltation. Sins have been paid for. He paid for sins on the cross. He didn't go to hell to pay for sins. Sins have already been paid for on the cross. We looked at that. So why is he going there? And what good does it do? A lot of good. Let's follow. Verse 19. So he is made alive in the spirit in which, in, in spirit, he, so it's his body bringing his spirit along, he's alive, in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Huh? Spirits in prison. The only prison that can hold spirits. The spirits aren't physical beings. So if you try to imprison a spiritual being with a physical prison, not going to happen. They're going to sneak right through the bars, right? They're spiritual beings. You can't contain a spirit with a physical prison. This has to be a spiritual 
prison. Imprisoning spirits. So remember before I said when, when people as believers when we die, our spirits keep living, our souls, and they go to heaven. When unbelievers die, Jesus says, their spirits keep living too, their souls, except they go to hell immediately. So Jesus is going to hell to visit the hell-bound, imprisoned spirits of all the unbelievers and especially of the devil himself. That's where Jesus goes. So that's who is there when Jesus is making this visit, in which he went and visited the spirits in prison. And what does it say he did? He preached. Jesus preached a sermon in hell. What did he say? What was that sermon about? Well, we bring in a couple other scripture verses, but really this is all we need because to spirits or souls who are imprisoned in hell, they're not getting out. It's the same way for spirits and souls who are in heaven. Jesus promises there's nothing that's going to take you away from heaven at all. You don't have to worry. So Jesus did not give them a message about how they could get out of hell, how they could get out of prison. He didn't go there to preach. He wasn't being an evangelist. He wasn't on a mission trip. He wasn't trying to save those souls. He already tried, and they said no. They disobeyed, they disbelieved, and and they were in hell. He did not go there to rescue them. Nor did he go there to try to change the devil's mind. That's already a done deal. He went there and preached... And proclaimed, I'm alive. I won. You thought you defeated me, but I am defeating you. And he went there to proclaim his power. Kind of like a victory lap. Right? A victory lap is not counted in the statistical record. The, the, the victory has already been won. That's counted in the win-loss record. The victory is already won. But the lap, why do you do that? It just goes to show everybody, hey, I'm the guy, I won, look at me. That's a victory lap. That's what Jesus did when he went into hell. To prove to the devil and the spirits that he was alive. So the sermon of Jesus in hell offered no comfort to the condemned, but it does offer a lot of comfort to us. Because think about this, Jesus went into hell, Jesus danced in the devil's own backyard and came back to tell about it. We can be certain that Jesus has all power over all evil, all power over all sin, all power over all shame and guilt and defeat that can bring you down, all power over it. We need a Savior like that. All right, we're going to plug this in and then we'll be done. Verses 21 and 22. And this water, so then uh, Peter goes on to talk about uh, the, the unbelieving spirits of the people in Noah's age who didn't believe and they went to hell and they were in hell too. And then that gets him thinking about this water of the flood. And so he says this water of the worldwide flood in Genesis chapter 11, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. 
It, baptism, saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That's the exaltation language, right? He's seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is a right-hand man. He has all power and all authority. And it's all about his resurrection. You pick any religious leader you want in the history of the world, any founder of any religion, any religious leader, pick whoever you want, Confucius, Muhammad, even for Jews, Abraham, Charles Joseph Smith, right? You, you pick any you want, any of them are still in the grave. Jesus is not just the founder of religion. He's way more. I wouldn't even call him. I wouldn't even use that word for him. Jesus is the savior of the world because he lives. He is risen. He's risen indeed. And so to focus more on Jesus and his life and his resurrection, I mean, Christians have done that for thousands of years. And we don't come together and say, hey, the weather forecast is risen. It's risen indeed. My son's soccer record is risen. It's risen indeed. Oh, uh, my stock in General Motors is risen. It's risen indeed. Right, Christian, we don't gather as a group and say that. There's something way more important than that going on in your life, and that's Jesus being risen. And he's risen indeed. What does that mean? What does that mean that, he, that that's, he's defeated evil? And that evil can't defeat you. It cannot. It means that you are a fighter and not a quitter. Especially when it comes to God's will for you and what you know that Jesus wants you to do. You're a fighter and not a quitter. Evil being defeated and you not being defeated means that you will not let sinful desires control you. And that you understand that by your baptism, you have power over them and they cannot tell you what to do. They cannot bully you. They cannot harass you. And you will not believe what they say, these temptations and the desires, trying to convince you that you need them because you need Jesus more. Evil being defeated and you not being defeated means that you will live a life of faith and not need everything figured out for you perfectly when Jesus doesn't want to give you complete information and that you will trust him because he lives and you do too. I want to finish by by reading a... It's a it's a poem of sorts. It's a, maybe you've heard it before. It's called Sunday's Coming. And it's about the fact that, that in life, it can seem like we're defeated. Just like on Friday, in Jesus on, of Holy Week, on Good Friday, it seemed like Jesus was defeated. But we're on the other side of that looking back. And we look at and we see, we see that he's risen from the dead. And we see that we have life. And we see that evil is conquered. And so that's our Sunday. So when you are going through a spell of difficulty or hopelessness, and it drags down your spirit, 
When you are caught up in a sinful habit that you want to break, when you want to read your Bible more and pray more, and, and it just, you just feel so overwhelmed and busy, that's Friday. But Sunday's coming. And so we look at our days like we look back at, at this Sunday's coming day. So listen to this, and then I'm going to say amen. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sunday's a coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirits burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning, people are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. And Satan's just a-laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. And Sunday's coming. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you defeated all. All that could stand against us in our lives as believers. The, the sin, the shame, the guilt, the fear, the doubt, the temptations, the devil's power over us, and even death. You defeated it all. It's in the history books and it's done. Why do we let it harass and hurt us so much? Thank you, Jesus, today for jumping in the pool and opening your arms and saying, jump, for becoming yet again the object of our faith, the beautiful and wonderful Savior that we know and love. Give us greater faith to believe in you more, more often, more deeply, to take your words and to put them into practice in our lives and to live the Christian victorious life that you have for us as a present, as a gift that you have planned for us in the future. Help us live, Lord, like Sunday's coming. Amen.